Welcome to the Underground Playground Podcast. This is episode number eight with Jeremy 2Js Jones. Listen up. All right, here we go, guys and girls. We are live. This is the Underground Playground Podcast. I am Stephen Bowser, the owner of the Playground Gym in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with my co-host, Mike Manning, out of Harbor City, Florida. And we have a special guest today, uh, Coach 2Js, Jeremy Jones, out of California. And we have a lot of good content today. We're going to talk about the good old days because Jeremy's been involved with CrossFit since pretty much the beginning days. So there's a lot of information out there that he can talk about where a lot of the newer gym owners, they don't really know. So we're going to talk about the history of CrossFit, what Jeremy Jones is doing today. JJ is doing a lot of gym programming for gyms that want to not spend a shitload of time doing their programming. So they hire JJ and he does a phenomenal job. I've actually had him do it for me for a while. So Go ahead and introduce yourself, Mr. Mike Manning, and then kick it back to me, and we're going to get JJ on. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Hi, everybody. This is Mike Manning. I'm talking to you from the imminently uh, in danger of Hurricane Irma, Melbourne, Florida. Uh, I want to welcome JJ on. I've known JJ for quite a few years. I use his Thriver Street programming in my gym to great effect. Uh, I also know him well from the Mad Lab Group, uh, a collective of gym owners trying to do things better and I'm super interested and happy to have him on today. I think you guys are going to love this podcast. I'm going to kick it back over to Steve who's going to introduce or uh, get JJ on the line here. All right, JJ, real quick, I wanted you to just kind of introduce yourself and basically tell us kind of how you got your start with CrossFit, what your background is. I know you come from martial arts background and then let's uh, start from there. Yeah, so so hello everybody. I'm Jeremy Jones. I started uh, started dabbling in CrossFit in 2004. I was uh, uh, I'd been doing martial arts since the 90s and uh, got into this this thing um, where dudes try to make each other squeal and uh, um, <laughs> and and give up. And back in the 90s, early 2000s, we never thought this thing would get popular in the United States. It was really huge in Japan. Um, and, uh, uh, and then I started, I was doing some full contact fights. I had my first full contact fight in 2004. Um, I, I remember doing it before the term MMA even existed. Um, it was just, it was just no holds barred fighting or cage fighting or whatever you wanted to call it. And, uh, so I went out and had some, had, had my first fight and I, I actually found out about CrossFit from a website called Bullshito and, uh, which is a martial, martial arts like Bullshito. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and it was basically calling out all the other, you know, bullshit martial arts gyms. And so I was on there tooling around and I saw somebody, somebody's signature was like CrossFit. It's like cheating or something like that. And so then I started kind of watching it, but I was training for my first fight. And then, um, so after my first fight, I was, I, I had about a 10 week camp. It's in the best shape of my life. And then I did my first CrossFit workout and was completely destroyed. And, and, uh, and, oh, my first CrossFit workout, this is hilarious was Tabata squats, four minutes max muscle ups, I believe. So I just did like modified ring dips. And That's then perfect, uh, perfect. For wait, wait, wait. And then another round of full round of Tabata squats. So okay. four minutes Tabata squats, four minutes of ring dips, four minutes of Tabata squats again, <laughs> four minutes of ring dips. It was like early July, 2004. And uh, um, pretty sure I gave myself mild rapto. Um, I was doing a ton of air squats. Um, we used to do the deck of cards, right? So the black card oh was boy. like squats and the red card was push-ups and you do the deck. And 
we get together and a couple times we did two decks. So you know, I was doing 400, 500 squats and push-ups in a 30 minute time period. And so I was able to, I think my first rounds of Tabata, I was like, I got like 17 or 18, which is really good for a guy who's like six foot four. And then, um, and then I don't remember I got on the second round, but I could barely walk. And being a fighter, when you learn something new that hurts, you're like, ow, ow, ow. Oh, show me that again. Ow, 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 oh, how do I do that? And so it was the same thing. It was the same thing with this workout stuff. I was like, this, like, I'm destroyed. I need to learn more. So then I think my second workout was Fran. Um, I don't believe it was named. I was just following .com, obviously. Um, I don't believe it was named Fran yet. Uh, it might have been pre predating the named, some of the named workouts. And so, um, again, heavily modified, uh, got involved in it very, did it for about a year before I met up with some other guys on, on the CrossFit forums. Um, and we started our affiliate in 2005, which was in my backyard. And uh, um, so I started Diablo CrossFit in 2005 in my backyard with a few partners. And then, and then from there, um, that turned into what people know of Diablo now. At our peak, we, had, we, had, we owned four gyms, managed a fifth gym. Our largest gym was 16,000 square feet, um, 28 classes a day, wow. um, thousands of members, 20-something uh, um, coaches. Um, we went to the, we started going to the games 2008. So we, we missed the 2007 cause it was, we didn't really know anything about it. And then, um, 2000, I coached the games, um, for eight, eight or nine times, um, with teams, individuals and, uh, masters, you know, so my team got on the podium. I've coached another team to the podium. Um, I've coached, uh, individuals, uh, to tie up the podium. Alessandro Pacelli was originally my athlete. Margaret Alvarez was also somebody I helped. Um, and then a bunch of master of masters podium uh got really really involved in the competition scene and then the grid league came along and so then i was one of the uh, um the founders of the san francisco fire grid league team and, be and was the head coach because of all my team and background and yeah. um went to the championship had a 14 and one record in the grid league and then um lost in the championship because of two injuries that happened during the match <laughs> otherwise things would have went differently but but uh got really I uh, was so plugged into the competition thing and finally stepped back and was like, what the hell am I doing from 2004 to 2008 competition didn't exist. We only did it to look good with our shirts off and to be able to do other stuff. Like I did it for my MMA stuff. And, uh, um, and so I went back to my roots and was like, I just want to help regular people get fit. So I've kind of retired from the competition coaching scene. I've ha I had an athlete make the games this year as a master who just does my programming remotely um, and, and, uh, uh, he did really well. Todd McKinnon, he's the guy that took his company public while training for the CrossFit games. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah. 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 He owns 9% of his company and it's worth $215 million. Right. Holy cow. <laughs> I didn't know this. I was just, he's just a nice guy that did my programming. Did you raise his rates after that came out? Like, oh, yeah, the I, <laughs> I should become his personal coach at this point. Um, <laughs> but the, he actually trained at Crystal Lane's gym, um, but did my programming there and out of San Francisco. Awesome. But yeah, so now, now I, uh, um, throughout that process, I was really, again, I was really more passionate about the regular people and getting regular people fit. And so, um, uh, sold my half of Diablo to my, to my partner and then, um, started, you know, we were selling programming online just because people were asking for it, but it was not a, a main focus. Um, but you know, over even starting back in 2010, 2011, I, I, I had been programming, I've been programming, um, seven days a week uninterrupted since 2006. So, so, you know, whether I go on vacations or take breaks, I always program when I'm going to be gone. Um, I've never copied and pasted programming. Um, and that whole time I've been tracking and, and, and 
you know, I have a, I have an engineering degree. So I use my spreadsheets and my project management um, tools to create programming. Yeah. And, uh, um, and so I, I thought I was like, well, they're, they're doing bad programming, but they'll figure it out. You know, they'll, these other gyms will learn. They're not learning. So, so, so then I saw there was a need for kind of to help gym owners with their, with their programming um, where it can save them, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours a month. Um, that they can then put in other parts of their business and give them a better product to deliver. Um, so, so then that, that's one of my main things that I do right now. And then through this whole process, being this gym owner of this you know, massive gym, one of the most successful gyms in CrossFit um, as far as like competition-wise, um, you know, I also saw this, this problem with coaches and, and the business model. And, and um, you know, my friends who had started gyms, were going out of business because because they were struggling uh, financially or business wise, um, especially kind of going into the 2013 2014 years, and and so then I started kind of we were we were trying to figure out how to make it work, and I discovered Mad Lab, and so now I work with Mad Lab to help them kind of produce professional a professional career path for coaches so they can stay in the industry for more than a few years. Um, so so quick question on on that. Um, what a takeaway is you had a big gigantic gym population with four gyms and a whole bunch of people. <clears throat> now, would you say that that's how you got so many people? Like, I mean, having the access to that many athletes is obviously going to help your genetic pool. Uh, and number two, uh, so deck of cards is not a good programming plan. <laughs> no, um, it, a deck of cards is seemingly random. Right. <laughs> you, what, so those of you guys who don't know, you turn over a card. If it says, if it's a six of hearts, it's push-ups. You do six push-ups. Then you turn it over and it say it's a six of diamonds. Now you got to do six more push-ups. And then, and then you start dreading when you get a lot of reds or blacks in a row, because then you know you're going to do a lot of the other one. But you go, basically you go two through, you know, the, the, um, the royal cards. And then like sometimes like ace, you might do 15. Um, and then you just, you know, so sometimes you end up doing sets of anywhere from two to 15, but yeah. sometimes in a row and it's but sort of you, random. If you have the right genetics, though, you could go to the games on that alone. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you just do the squats really fast, it's like, it'll get you stronger. <laughs> explosive plyometrics. No, it, it, it's a, uh, but to your other question, you know, we, in 2008, you know, it was all individuals. There was no such thing as team competition in 2008 right. because it was just sort of like, they just looked at your top two male performances and your top two female performances. And then, and then that's who won the game. So I think CrossFit Oakland won that year. Yeah. And realistically in 2008, I think there was only five or six gyms that had two men and two women compete. <laughs> so like we only had one woman enter, you know, four or five guys. And, uh, um, and, and so we weren't even in the running. So then the next year, 2009 is when they actually made team events. And, uh, um, and I got really enamored with the team stuff because in my mind, again, thinking, thinking of my gym, you know, the gym that could pr produce a team of athletes is obviously doing something right with their programming and their coaching and their community. And so I, w I started like, you know, really following other gyms that had good teams. I, I started really looking at my gym and even in 2009, I think we got like 10th or something like that out of, I don't know how many teams, but, but uh, we narrowly missed the, um, the, uh, the final. And, and uh, what I realized though was like, okay, well, I don't have these, I don't have these amazing athletes. I didn't have anybody that was like a, you know, professional athlete or division one athlete at my gym. And I was like, well, if I want people to stick around long enough to get good, we got to have fun, right? So, um, so, so, the, so, so we really just became the party gym. And it was all about having fun. 
And, and we always had the, the biggest group of people at the games um, back as far as 2008, 2009. And, and then what happened was we, we, over time, I knew if I could keep people around long enough, I could just turn them into athletes. And then we got better and better. So, you know, one thing I tell people is like, we didn't recruit at all. Right. So we didn't, we didn't. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, before we get away too far, because there's a lot of questions that I want to ask before we jump off too far, but why you brought that up. Um, that's one thing I really, really admired about Diablo and a couple other uh, training facilities is you guys, it was like all homegrown athletes. You guys didn't recruit. You guys didn't build super teams. And, you know, and I get it. You know what? Don't, don't, be, don't be pissed at the game, you know, or don't be pissed at the player. Be pissed at the game. You know, I, I got a little irritated locally as well because we were the same way. We, we had athletes that we kind of developed inside of our gym and taking them to the regionals level, trying to get them to the games level. And then all of a sudden I see all these other local gyms that were just kind of combining all their, all their top level athletes and building super teams. Tell me your thoughts on that. I mean, I get it. You know, it's, it's, it's part of the rules. You can do it, but you know, just what's your thoughts on that? Do you think that's fair? Do you think it should be in its own category? Just kind of elaborate on that a little bit while we're on that. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm still a stickler for, for my old partner, Craig called it the organic, you know, the organic teams, you know, and, and well, it used to be called the affiliate cup and, and uh, um, a, a few years ago they changed it to teams because when it's the affiliate, that means everyone came from the same affiliate. And yeah, some, one or two of them might've relocated for other reasons, but people were not living an hour or two or three away and then figuring out how to uh, a loophole to train at that gym. And, and, uh, um, and the reason why I was so passionate about it, like I said, is, is if a gym can produce, um, you know, these amazing athletes using their programming and everything like that, that, that means they're doing something right. What can we learn from them? You know, this is, this is what it's all about is making the system of making people fitter, you know, improved. And so like one of my favorite teams I still root for is, is uh, Fort Vancouver up in Washington. And, and these guys, Adam Nafier and these guys, they've been producing their own athletes and going to the game, winning the games, podiuming the games multiple times, still competing. Um, and they have not been recruiting. They, they still are a very organic gym as well. And that people don't even know who they are, you know, and it's, it's, it's because they don't have any big names uh, individually. And so um, that's why I've been, I was always so frustrated by the lack of sort of rules around, you know, um, who can be on your team and all that. And, and it's true that we had a big, a big gym of a talent to pull from. Um, but like, you know, what I, like what I tell people about like Alessandra Pacelli, she actually did train in another gym before us. Um, but she, she did make regionals, I think in 2010 or 11, the first year they had regionals was 11, I guess they, um, but she couldn't do a muscle up. Um, so like she, that's the, I, I was able to take her and turn her into, you know, and she was on the team, we podium, then she, she tied for third the next year. Um, but, but that'd be the only person that was yeah. really like a recruited athlete. And, and, and it was everybody else who came to our gym had never even made regionals. Um, if they had any CrossFit experience at all. Um, and, and like I, you know, in 2014, we had three teams make regionals. So from the, from the one, the one facility, not from multiple gyms, these are all from one gym. And yeah, we had, we had a lot of people to pull from, but it was deliberate that we were creating depth because I knew people would get hurt, people would move away. And there was always this thought toward, um, you know, the next generation, you know? And, so, and so, so when you, so what do you think about JJ now, nowadays, 2017, 
when the sport of fitness is on one side and then on the other side you have you know the 99% i think that that's what everybody's calling it now how much emphasis should gyms be putting on um, making it to the games or getting an athlete or getting a team or doing the sport of crossfit versus serving you know the average gen pop client that just wants to look better naked well realistically the competition side especially at that level is a luxury it's going to drain your resources and your, and your business. And, and uh, if you're trying to run a successful gym, you know, so that people can make a living at it yourself and some of your coaches, if you put too much emphasis on the competition side, it's going to, it's going to be a lot of extra work and a lot of headache that will probably damage your growth and your development as a business. There's been a separation. You know, I noticed it. I started to notice it back in 2012 where the, the people who are going to regionals and games are so much beyond what the average person needs you know but you know one of the things like history let's talk history a little bit so in 2008 the crossfit games um around that same time people were uh, uh start just starting to play around with the butterfly pull-up you know opt james fitzgerald um did a did the first sub three fran um a, a year or two before that and he did them on a pull-up bar that was separate, right? It was on one of those like cable machine rigs. So he, his yeah. head could pass through where the bar would be. And right. people were cr crying foul because they were saying like, that shouldn't count, you know? And, and uh, at first nobody even believed you could get a sub three frame back then. And, and, uh, um, but oh, that doesn't count. Those pull-ups aren't legit, whatever. And, and, uh, uh, but, th but then it became more accepted. Um, and so then people were, but nobody was getting their chin over the bar. It was very hard to judge. And so, you know, Greg and Lauren having the CrossFit Games were like, we're going to do Fran, but we're going to require everyone to touch their chest to the bar. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was 2008, I think. That, 2008, that yeah. Chest, 2008. chest to bar, yeah. In 2008. And, and so it blew everyone's minds. Not to mention it was like, you know, central California in the summertime. It was everyone's hands were hamburger. Um, and, uh, and, so, and so they did that in order to create a, an easier way to judge. Well, I know gyms that were like, chest of bars, the new standard. We're only doing chest of bars from now on. And it was like, whoa, 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 like slow down, you know, like, so all their, all their benchmarks, like Fran yeah. and Hell and everything, none of them counted, like didn't work anymore. And it was like, right. and then of course people just figured out how to butterfly chest of bars, you know, like it was eventually it came down the path, but people don't realize that chest of bars are a movement that was invented for competition. There's no correlation to chest of bar pull-ups and fitness. Right. And regular, regular people don't, you know, it's something that it's a movement, it's a progression, but it's a little bit, little bigger range of motion really. But yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a more, you know, it requires a little bit more grip. It's a little bit more explosive. Um, but should we be forcing our regular members to be doing chest bars once or twice a month? Like not really, like it's, it, it yeah. shouldn't be, it shouldn't be on the agenda unless they get to that level. Yeah. And, and uh, it's just an example of when we started to see the separation of regular gym programming and and the sport and so and so yeah there's definitely a separation there that people need to realize and, and like i said the competition thing i think a lot of gyms get really um it, the the gym owner and the coaches are very uh um, passionate about the sport and they try to force that upon their members and i think that that causes a, a rift um and a disconnect i you know i can say from experience the last time i coached a team at the games in 2015 was um yeah, 2015, you know, I was getting reports back from my people who were still running the ship while we were gone. And we had our team competing on television, on the screen, you know, the big screen at the gym. And people weren't even paying attention. People were coming yeah. to the gym, doing classes. And everyone's like, oh, look, there's, there's like three of your coaches 
you know, competing <laughs> in world championships. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, like, it didn't matter. You know, I, I have to tell people, like, look, if you think that making regionals or making the games is going to help your business, it's not. Nope. The average person doesn't know and doesn't care. True. True. I, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of talk to other with other on other blogs and stuff where, you know, they, they get these games, games athletes or even regionals levels athletes that show up at their gym and they're like, hey, listen, I'm, I want to train here, but I don't want to pay or, you know, oh boy, you know, and, uh, you know, I'll bring people in or it'll be good for the gym. And and most of the owners on that blog are like, run away, man, run away. Tell them to go down the street. You don't want these people at your gym. They're going to they're going to take over. They're going to want to do their own programming. They're going to be doing Invictus one week. Uh What's Rich doing the next week? Uh, you know, it's they just fought, you know, Ben Bergeron's program. I mean, hey, I've seen it at my place. I mean, I even had a long conversation with, with, your, with your partner, Craig. Um, you know, I, I talk to him all the time, and I, I get frustrated about certain things, so I kind of talk to him about it. He's like, Steve, it's the same here, man. It's, it's just – that's just the way it is. You know, you get these – some athletes that they – they see shiny objects, so they just kind of follow something for a little while, and then they see somebody post something on Facebook. Oh my God, I got to try that. Um, you know, and it's if they just stay focused and they stay the course, and they realize that you know to properly train, you know, and you can touch base on that to properly train, properly train your 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 energy systems and strength train. You're not going to max out every freaking day. You're not going to burn. You're not going to be laying on the ground gasping for air at the end of every workout. I mean, it's eventually. Well, you're and I, yeah. And I, and I think there's this, there's, there's also a, a disconnect too, where people think that um, coaches and programmers who have had successful athletes make the games are somehow, they know what they're talking about when it comes to business um, yeah. or even reg, or helping regular people. You know, the thing is, is, it, is that like I said, that some, a, a coach who, who's used to working with, very dedicated, talented athletes it's, will sometimes lose touch with reality, um, with their scaling recommendations, with their, with their just in general, their programming, because, because they're not working with regular people. You know, I actually still coach a few classes a week, right? And, and, I, and I love it because it keeps me grounded. My wife, you know, she's been doing CrossFit for over nine years, and, and uh, you know, she'll call me out sometimes. And it's actually started five or six years ago. And she's like, what is this? I, I can't do this, Rx. I've been doing this for four years, and I can't prescribe this. This is too yeah. much. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, because I was getting yeah. off base. My, my center point, you know, my, my, uh, my zero was off. And so, um, and so that's the thing is that it's the same thing with a lot of these pro – like people think like, oh, I'm going to do, you know, so-and-so's programming because he's, he's coached the best athletes in the world. And it's like, what is that – how does that qualify him to help regular people? Yeah. You know, that, that doesn't, or, or he's got a business advice I'm going to give. I'm like, well, hold on. What does that have to do with business? Like, is he successful business-wise? Or somebody who's, who's created a, um, a business model where it involves many locations or, or involves, you know, things that most gyms don't have, to have access to. Oh, I'm going to, you can be successful by selling events and t-shirts. It's like, well, that's not, the average gym isn't going to make a, make a profit on t-shirts. Um, right. and so it's interesting how we, we kind of, we kind of associate the success in the, in, in these other realms with kind of what we're trying, what we're trying to do. You know, one thing I will point out with the competition thing, 
is, is this debate between, you know, Metcon biased and strength biased programming. Yeah. And, it, and I feel like, first of all, it does, it's not black and white, right? Like I, it's true. The average gym doesn't need to be doing a strength lift and a Metcon every single day. I, I've done that. I don't think it's the most successful way to, for, for regular people, but I also have done and tested this multiple times where people just do Metcon and only lift maybe once a week. And that doesn't work either. I know it doesn't work. I've seen it literally happen dozens and dozens of times with athletes, if not hundreds of times where their performances go down, their progress plateaus, you know? And so, so there's kind of like, Oh, regular people just need regular fitness. And it's like, I don't care if that woman can't do a push up on her, on her toes. She doesn't need to do more knee pushups. She doesn't need to right. do more Metcon. She needs to develop some strength skill. And, and, um, and that, you know, in my programming, we do kind of a balance between the two. Um, and so we'll do a lift and a short Metcon about half the time and then a Metcon only about half the time. But one thing we do almost every single day is some dedicated skill practice. And so what I tell people, I like, look, it's not a strength bias program. It's not a Metcon. It's a mastery bias programming. We're trying to get people to move better and, and, and learn these things and always be focusing on better technique and strength is a technique, just like Metcon is a tech is a skill and a technique too. And, but again, people kind of hear like, Oh, you know, I know Ben talks about it and I haven't listened to the podcast where he talks, you know, uh, at length about his sort of his theories around it. But I know I've had athletes who were doing kind of a combination of the strength and Metcon bias and they went just to Metcon and they all, every single one of them saw a, a, a plateau, if not a decline in their, in their fitness. Um, uh, when they went to that, Any, anybody who'd been training for more than three or four years, you know, yeah. so a lot of these programmers, you know, and, and it's great that there are people who are specializing in programming in general, but it's like, how long have they been programming for us? I have people who've been doing my programming for 10 plus years and they're still doing it and they're not broken and they're make, still making gains. You know, when someone, someone's like, oh, I programmed for two or three years at my gym and we saw some success and you should buy programming from me. I'm like, oh yeah. That's a that's quite a leap to assume that that person can then understand what what pro, how the programming is going to affect somebody you know eight ten years down the road. Um, yeah. But again, I, going back to the original premise here is the competition thing. I think did has has become a big distraction for the for the just getting regular people fit and having a great life. It's kind of like the nutrition argument, you know. Yeah. There are some, there are some general guidelines for people that just want to be a little bit healthier and lose some weight, right? But once you start getting down into the weeds, you can go high into the right with nutrition, just like you could go high into the right with the argument between strength and Metcon. And I, I think Ben, he, his latest thing was that he's leaning back towards the metabolic conditioning side. I don't know if that's the right way to go. I don't, I don't know if it's wrong or right. I, I, you know, and it, and it depends discussion. on application, you know, like if, if, so, if they're spending, you know, 10 or 15 minutes practicing a lift and not calling it strength, but it's just practicing some lift. And then they do, I mean, that's, that to me, that's not quite strength bias programming, but that's also not Metcon bias either. Right. The, the other thing I found in programming in general is if you're doing these, you know, 20, 30, 35 or more minute Metcons, you only have these people for an hour. You know, how much practice are they really getting if they're spending 35 minutes working out plus another five or 10 minutes setting up, right? How much community are you building when they're just off by themselves doing this workout for 40 minutes? You know, and, and, and yeah. uh, it, it, the, the return on an investment of that time, you're way better off just having them work more practice and skill and building the community and things and getting them into that. Yeah, you, again, you need to work that 25 to 30 minute, you know, time frame occasionally to keep, get them fit. But, it, but again, you're going to get a lot more results working that like eight minute, 10 minute, 15 minute, 20 minute time frames because you'll still be able to do the long workouts decently.
Right. It makes perfect sense. The nutrition thing is interesting because I've had a lot of friends, um, especially at my old gym, um, that have gone on some of these nutritional counseling things and they're paying $130 a month to get nutritional guidance. And, and I'm like, that's, you know, that's like a gym membership. Yeah. You know, like, so what do you get for that? Well, I use my fitness pal to record my food. So I know my macros and I tell them what my, I weigh myself every day and I tell them what my macros are every day. And then they're available for questions. If I want to know, should I eat this or not? And it's like that, that's it. They don't tell you, they don't give you recipes. They don't give you a lot of guidance. <laughs> You're paying a hundred, but they're getting insane results. They're getting really good results. And it was the kind of results that, that we used to get at our gym when I was doing that as part of the membership, I was just helping people. People would text me and be like, here, eat this instead or whatever. I think if people just pay attention to what they're doing, you'll, they'll get better results, right? Well, it's accountability. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. When they have somebody, when they know somebody's paying, they have to tell the person what they ate and this person's going to be like, oh, you fucked up. And then, yeah, then that's, that's what it becomes about. It becomes about the accountability piece. And so I really think that these gyms, you know, need to be taking advantage of that and creating programs and having their coaches mentor these people. You know, it may not be, it's not going to be ongoing. It could only be for, you know, six weeks or 12 weeks to get people dialed in. But, but it's just funny how they're willing to pay a stranger literally across the country to $130 a month to just basically make sure that they're eating what they should be eating, even though they already know what they should be eating. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, it's, it's a, it's something that I think gym, that, that our gyms could really benefit from, you know, to help them financially, but also provide a better service to clients. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, um, well, I was talking to Mike about it. Same with him. We're, we're reading uh, Rob Wolf's book right now. Um, it's, it's, it's an excellent book. Why are you? He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> Screw Rob Wolf. He's an idiot. <laughs> oh my God. I really like this new book. I really, yeah. I really did. So I'm halfway like, through. I, I made an announcement in my gym that we're going to, we're going to do a little quick uh, seminar uh, or clinic about nutrition. And I got a line of people waiting, you know, so I'm probably going to do it after this hurricane passes by uh, hopefully. And um, like another, um, like I did the OPT search. So I did his nutrition his nutrition uh, seminar or, or, or certification, I guess you can call it. And uh, Matt Lalonde, man, that guy is uh, that guy is great. I love that guy. But, uh, you got to really pay attention to him talking because it's basically like being in a in a in, you know in a college setting. I mean, Lecture, yeah. he's a Harvard you know professor. I mean, uh, bio biochemist or. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's where, I mean, that's where we start to geek out on this stuff. And then it's yeah. like the average person's like, just tell me what to fucking eat. Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, it and it's more about the general rules and it's, and it's funny how there's so many things and this is true for working out too. It's like, we don't need to be like, you know, how many different seminars you need to learn how to teach someone how to snatch. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I used to say you don't need Lance Armstrong to teach you how to ride a bike. But now I say you don't need Lance Armstrong to teach you how to use steroids, you know, <laughs> but, but, but in general, like, I think a lot of coaches, they, again, they get geeked out on this stuff and it's like, this is the average person. Like yeah. you just need to get them to learn the basics and, and how do you communicate those basics to them um, where there's nutrition or snatching. It doesn't need to be super sciencey. Now, 10% of your people may have something that's really going on and then you can help that, that 10%. But ultimately, you know, the people I've worked with, you know, that are struggling with weight loss or, you know, they're not making gains, you can find out with some pretty, if, if, they, if you've built up a good enough rapport that they can trust you and tell you what's really going on. And they're like, yeah, I eat garbage 
every night because I was, I was molested when I was a child and nighttime is very frightening for me. And I live alone and I'm a woman, you know, and it's like, all right, well, I can't help you with that. (laughs) So, you know, so, so you can, you, but, but ultimately like I've not had anybody who actually did what they were supposed to be doing, um, not get results. It's not, it's, it's not like, you know, there's very, there's been a a few people that I suspect might've been some thyroid or some other kind of weird issues. Um, but I also suspect that they were doing something they weren't telling me. Well, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, like how to, you know, that's for gym owners who are listening or for coaches who are listening, especially, um, you know, who are prescribing nutrition to people, there's a psychological, uh, and a relationship based thing here, you know, how, what's the best approach do you think? I mean, I've had people in the gym, you know, six months, six years, and they come regularly and then they, but they don't change. I mean, the fitness is good for them, but you know, deep down they want to change, but they just won't change their nutrition. How do we develop that relationship with people and broach that um, psychological aspect without violating our scope of practice and, and really try to get these people to change? What's been your experience with that? Um, it, you know, you have to, I like to say, you got to ask why five times, you know, like, you know, why, why do you want to do that? Well, why is that important? Well, why is that important? Well, why does that matter to you? You know, and, and, and you kind of get down into the real weeds with them. And then the other thing I've been, I've, I've been playing around with, um, one of my clients is a clinical psychologist and she's helped me with some of this stuff is that it's motivational interviewing, which came out of the medical realm. And it's a process where you basically ask them, you know, um, you say like, okay, so you're, you're, you drink juice every day, right? And you have an orange juice with breakfast and, and your, your blood sugar's off or whatever, you know? So we know that that's something that we can change, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how easy do you think that would be, that change would be? And they would say, it doesn't matter what they say. They could say two or they could say 10, you know, and they say, oh, it's a six. And you're like, oh, I'm, why is it so low? And you make them explain you know, even if it's an eight, you say, why you always go low first. And then they'll tell you all the reasons why um, they're going to struggle with it. And then you can say, well, what would make it a 10? Or how would, what would, what would be a 10? You know, and, and it gets them to kind of like work it out and, and come up with a plan to make these small habit changes um, and, and, and to get them to understand, okay, here's what you really need and what you want. And here's some small changes that we can implement. Instead of trying to take the, the big picture, like these huge sweeping changes, it's overwhelming for people. So just kind of getting in and finding and get, letting them kind of pick and choose what they can, what they can change from a habit standpoint um, is, really, is really what helps the most. So touching on that, um, and, and that makes a lot of sense what you're saying, because now we're starting to talk about life coaching, which I hate that term, but it's a, it, I, I took the life coaching certification. And let me tell you something. You know, something like that, you've got to kind of link it to something that's really, really important to them. So, for instance, if somebody's coming in and they really don't like working out, but, you know, what's more important to them? Their job, their family, their success. Now you got to link them all together. So, okay, so listen, if we can get you to lose 10 pounds, you're going to have more energy. You're going to have more energy. Now that you're going to have more energy, you're going to be able to spend more time with your family because you're going to be focusing more at work. You're going to be able to get out of work early. You're going to get your job done quicker, you know? So it's kind of like bridging the gap and linking it all together of what's the most important thing. So I think that's uh, something that everybody should kind of consider as well. 
Yeah, you got to tie. I mean, it, it really is. You know, what I teach people about the gym business is that if we make their lives better, if we make them a better, you know, better at work, if we make them a better husband or father, if we make them um, a better friend, like they're not going to quit your gym because they have enough time to come to your gym because because they are better at time management. They can afford it because they're doing well at work and their family wants them to go because, you know, and so, you know, we, we really want to improve their lives on all fronts and then they'll be a member for life versus, versus just sort of like, oh, I want to lose 30 pounds and then they lose it and then they're kind of hovering and they're doing fine. They kind of hit this balance. You know, I, I talk to people about, you know, the, the amount of effort you put in according to like the results you're happy with. And, and this is very true for people at that five, 10 year mark you know, like they start to realize like, okay, I could, I could get more results, but I don't want to put in the extra time and effort. And they're just sure. happy. They're just happy with their routine. They show up yeah. to the gym three or four times a week. They hang out with their friends. Maybe they're still setting some PRs or doing some things here and there, but they're really just there just to maintain what they have. Yeah. Um, and, and it's our job to understand that that's where they're at and maybe give them little tiny goals to keep them motivated and keep them progressing and, and, um, and, and be aware that their, their um, goals and motivations may shift. You know, they could go from wanting to lose that weight to, again, just being able to maintain with a busy life. Or they decide that they sign up for an obstacle race with one of their friends. Or they, they, um, they're going to go do some crazy adventure and they want to go mountain climbing or something. So, you know, you got to be ready to make those pivots and shifts for them. In fact, it's our job as coaches to kind of encourage them to, to use their fitness outside of the gym, right? So we want them to do these adventures and do these things. So then they have some motivation to train. You know, some people to the open, they want to do good in the CrossFit open. You know, the uh, other people, again, you may encourage them to do their first powerlifting meet or Olympic lifting meet, just, just to give them some reason to keep yeah. being consistent, you know? And, and uh, if you just let people come for just the general fitness, um, just be aware that, that um, they could get bored. And, and uh, so it's important that they have some, some, some target in mind um, outside of just uh, gym, gym experience or gym, gym results. Yeah. I'm a big fan of doing like uh, 30 day challenges. Um, even if it's a nutrition thing, if you just kind of post, Hey, listen, everybody, we're going to weigh in. Um, we're going to do a 30 day challenge, body fat percentage, you know, we'll do a before picture after picture. We'll weigh in, you know, you don't even have to do the before and after picture, but you know, offer them some kind of a prize, whether you want to say, okay, the top body fat percentage loser wins a free month or free t-shirt or whatever you want it. That stuff gets pretty, it, it gets uh, pretty competitive. Now, let's be real. I've done it several times. You've got to figure probably about half the people are going to never finish it, but at least, at least you have, yeah. you know, you'll have another half that are gonna, and they'll get results. Even if they lose two pounds, who gives a crap, man? You know? Yeah, it's well, just something something to focus on, right? Some variety. I, I just, you know, we're we're doing a, a, another challenge right now, and you know, to, I mean, just to bring people in the gym. And uh, Mike Wist uh, at CrossFit Como, he he has a box builder, uh, you know, their lead thing, and he he puts a lot of great content on the site. And he was talking the other day about how with these challenges, people will spend two hundred and fifty dollars for six weeks, but your one hundred and twenty or one hundred and thirty dollar a month gym rate for the rest of your life is somehow way too expensive. So, you know, and then the people that are coming in for these challenges, their thing is just like JJ was saying before, is look, just tell me what to eat, tell me what to do, and I want to get in shape. And, and, you know, we know as coaches and being in this for a long time that, you know, this is a lifelong pursuit, right? Six weeks of anything, 
um, except maybe a long vacation in a sunny climate, six weeks of anything is really not going to do you any good. It's just kind of weird to me. How, how, you know, I, I remember making an observation years ago and we had, when I had her just the first location and, you know, we, and I was like, why, you know, people will pay to back in, in 2010, people would pay $250 for a boot camp for three days a week at 5am in the park. And right. it might, you know, it could rain, there could be dew on the grass. Like there's no, there's no bathrooms. There's, you know, you're doing the same movements every, every day. And I'm like, what is wrong with these people? They, they can pay less money to come to my gym, have the full schedule, better coaching, more movements, you know, a bathroom, showers, all this stuff. But I think it's that psychology of, of well, if I stop or something happens, I'm only out 250 bucks. I'm not committed. And, and um, you know, the way I explain, uh, I actually just posted a meme today on my Instagram and stuff. But it was, you know, if, if somebody has three lattes a week at 350 a pop, and they go out and they go out to dinner or buy drinks once a week for at 40 bucks every trip out. So That's $40 cheap. dinner. Yeah. Once a week. And they pay $30 a month in protein. That's $250 a month. Yeah. Like, and somehow gym memberships are too expensive. Like, right. you know, it, it, people, but you just gotta, people don't have that perspective. You know, they just think somehow, you know, it, it, it the, oh, that, that monthly cost. you know, I, I, I've drafted an article. I haven't posted it yet. And I'm trying to break it down in, in, in results terms, you know? So people will say like, well, you know, I got a gym membership for 30 bucks a month. And it's like, well, hold on. If you go for two years at 30 bucks a month, but you go, you get lackluster results versus somebody coming to a more expensive gym and working with a coach, that's going to really guide them. You could get those results in three or six months. Yeah. It would take you six, you know, two years on your own. What's more important that, that you, you know, and actually end up spending less money. You know, you'll yeah. spend less money and get the results faster, but it's just an investment up front versus this sort of like, well, it's 20 or 30 bucks a month. And, you know, how do we get people's minds around that? You know, um, I wonder if your, your strategy of five questions, five whys uh, could be useful in that scenario when you're talking to somebody who tells you, hey, this gym membership's too expensive, you know? Yeah, well, exactly. And, and, and to say like, you know, we don't do contracts, you know, or, or we'll let you out of your contract if it's not working. It's, it's to say like, look, you know, if we're not providing the value, then we can cancel. It's not like you're, you know, it's not like we're not telling you it's going to cost you $10,000 to get your results over the next, you know, uh, five to 10 years. But, but, uh, but again, I think people's mindset is they're comparing month to month costs, you know, versus that in initial investment. And so, you know, I don't know, I don't have a solution for it yet. And maybe there's some quick videos or something, you know, you know, pay, hire someone to make some whiteboard videos or animated videos to kind of get people on this mindset. Like why? Yeah, that's right. Like I'm spending all this money on lattes and going out to eat and, and, uh, and then I'm paying crap for a gym membership. That's not working, you know, yeah. and get, you know, it's what's, what's the point? Why am I paying for that? And yeah. so, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so, uh, um, the, uh, the, the gym business, uh, Mike's doing Thrive History programming also. So it's pretty cool to hear you mention him. I haven't, I haven't looked into the box builder stuff. I, I know it's, it's pretty good stuff. He's, oh, he's Mike Wistick, Com yeah. Como. Yeah. Como, yeah. But, uh, um, it's pretty cool. I've got a bunch of gyms now all over, all over doing the programming. And like what I tell people, I'm like, look, like I interview just, to, I interview everybody, um, uh, before or right after they sign up. Cause I want to make sure that they apply my programming correctly. Um, and, and, uh, it's, I'm like, look, it, it, I don't care if you use my programming or warm up and wad with Taz and, and Pat or, or, um, Jacob Tipskin and, and TZ strength. Those are the, some of the bigger, bigger guys, um, box programming and Jason's another one. 
and they all do a good job of programming. And it, it, my main thing is, is like, if you aren't going to put in the time and the effort, don't pay a coach who doesn't have the experience to do it. And, you know, and don't, don't just make it up as you go. Like find somebody, invest in the programming because it really does uh, change your business when it's done correctly. And, it, and, it, and it's a huge stress reliever too. I think a lot of people discredit and you guys know when you've got to come up with that workout and that programming and it's like Sunday night and you're like, crap, I don't want to do this right now. Or your wife's like, hey, you know, we got to leave. You know, we got to go do this thing and it's yeah. Sunday and you're banging away on the keyboard trying to like get the programming out that constantly weighs on you mentally, you know, and, yeah. and you know, and, and I've broke through that barrier many, many years ago um, using, again, using uh, spreadsheets and tools. And, and even, even now it still sometimes weighs on me. I'm like, Ugh. you know, I want to, if I want to get away for a weekend, you know, I have to get that programming done um, just so I can have a day or two off, you know, and, and uh, having that so you don't have to worry about it is a huge, um, is, uh, is also a huge value to most owners. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're, uh, you're programming. I've actually followed it for a little while myself. Um, it, it's, uh, I actually learned, I learned from it. It was excellent. Um, I had some problems. Um, the biggest problems I had were just, uh, the equipment wise sometimes, but you know, you can make modifications, but, uh, you know, it just, I, I think with me, I just kind of felt like I knew my members and I knew more of what they needed per se. Um, so like I went back to doing it myself and I'm pretty educated at it. I mean, I pretty, pretty much took every cert there is uh, in seminar, but let me tell you something. I, I, I highly, highly, highly recommend a gym owner that needs a break that needs to learn because you definitely throw out a lot of knowledge. You explain it. And, um, you know, even if it's somebody that needs to just temporarily have somebody program, because it's really kind of cool to sit back and get that stress off your shoulders for a little while, you know, and it could be permanent, you know, if it's something that it's working for you, there's no problem making it a permanent thing where, um, yeah, I know I keep hitting my hand. I, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why I do that. Um, but it's, I, I, like I said, I highly recommend, like you were saying, that you should try it, especially for a newer gym owner um, that's done the level one, level two, maybe a couple other seminars or certs. But to be able to see a gym owner or a, uh, someone that actually has been in a business for as long as you that really keeps all the stats and knows what's working to, and, and the skill, like, like you said, one thing that really changed my uh, idea of my program was you and seeing all the skill work that you put in. It's so important to put skill yeah. work into your training program. Yeah. And you'd be surprised, man, how much fun it is. I don't care what level your athletes are or what level your members are. I don't know why I call them athletes. That's a really bad habit. What, <laughs> what level your clients are. Um, if you have an old, older woman or an, an overweight woman or male man in your gym and you're progressing them to do a handstand and they get it trust me man they're going to be walking on air for weeks because they're going to be telling all their friends my god they got me to do a handstand i never thought i'd be able to do that just the simple things 
Well, yeah, like the biggest thing, um, that's one of the big, the big takeaways I want all gym owners to have about programming is that you need to include skill warmups that are programmed, they're planned, you know, like, so we'll do a skill warmup on a, on a Monday and it might be something like kipping drills and you'll have a beginner who's working on scat pull-ups <laughs> and you'll have a advanced person who's working on butterfly chest of bars or bar muscle ups and everything in between during that short period of time. Now the workout that day may have no kipping or pull-ups or anything in it. Um, but what it does is it gives them the license to practice. And if you only practice the movement the day you're doing it in the Metcon, all of your clients will sandbag. They will all try to do as little work as possible, so that, especially your more advanced people, because they don't want it to affect their workout score. And yeah. what we're doing by creating a, a block of time every class to practice, it's play. They can play around with a new technique. They can change their timing. They can, and, and they can work on the progressions that are going to help them get those skills in a safe environment. Um, and there's no pressure of the clock and there's no pressure for how much weight you're lifting. And, and it really helps people progress in the long term. And then we may see that show up on Monday and then later that week, or maybe even the following Monday, because the same people usually come the same days each week, we'll see that movement then done. So now, you know, 80% or more of your clients have been exposed to that movement and, and, and the coach now kind of knows where everyone's at. And then when it's time to do it, you know, you know, you go through the demo and everybody's kind of warming up and again, just getting some practice, a little bit of practice in, you, you can make sure that they use the proper progression for that workout because they were exposed to it in a different environment. Yeah, that practice, that practice time is key for sure. And that's when people are chatting it up. They're saying hello to each other. They're moving around at a moderate pace. And like when you were talking about that, uh, you, you know, I'm a big Facebook whore. Obviously, everybody knows that I'm all over the place. But uh, I, did you see that meme, JJ, that had uh, open gym time, like the pie? I shared it. Yeah, that was yeah. over. That was, <laughs> that was that was okay. The pie about what, how much actual time is used <laughs> avoiding the workout when you're in open gym. What do you Wait. think? What do you think about like gym, you know, with open gym? I mean, useful bullshit. Or should everybody be doing it or should nobody? I mean, it's funny. We, I actually drew that pie chart almost exactly six years ago at the gym. We were making a joke about it. And it was like how and, – and, and everybody kind of put in their own little slice of the pie. It was hilarious. Like we would talk about like – talk about like the video we saw, you know, like got a, uh, finding the right gear, you know, putting <laughs> on the right gear. And which, which type of knee sleeve should I wear for this workout? Setting up your social media – yeah, and it, it's hilarious. But yeah, an open gym in general is is um is really uh, that's not what people are paying for. They're paying for the coaching. Yeah, and and I've I've seen this happen again with many many athletes, people who are trying to compete. They go off and they start doing their own programming, or even the the programming you're giving them from a competition side, but they're doing it off on their own and they're not being coached. And and they that they get hurt, their progress stalls, their snatch isn't getting any better. You know, it's true that they might be developing a little more strength or work capacity, but technique and efficiency is still the most important thing that they work. There's no point in adding strength and work capacity if the technique's not there. That's just a recipe for injury. And so we see yeah. these people doing open gym and they're not being coached. And, and uh, um, it's, it's not now, again, as a gym owner, if somebody wants to do open gym and they're not taking up a lot of space and they're off on the side and they're paying a full membership, it's like, well, you know, you need to have that conversation with them, but right. I'm not going to stop them. Um, but you know, the, the, uh, I think open gym in general is really should only be for the extremely advanced, dedicated athletes, or again, somebody who might just need to sneak in for a minute cause they can't make the class. But yeah. remember those people are not participating in the community. Um, they're not, like I said, they're not getting coached. It's, it's usually, um, uh, a sign that they're, 
that they're uh, that they're on the way out, right? That it's not going to work out in the long run. Right. Exactly. That may, I mean, that's the, the community aspect of it. Everybody, you know, pays homage to that. You know, if you look at a website, everybody says we have the best community, right? We have the best coaching. Do you? What uh, What do you think? Um, what are some of the signs that your community is doing well? If you and we talked about this with Sin, there is no community outside of your gym. There's only right. There's not a CrossFit community per se anymore. We can argue that back and forth. The real community is inside your gym. And what are you doing to do that? And I want to hear you kind of in your years of experience with multiple gyms. When do you know your community is working? And when do you have to worry about it? What are, you, what are the signs that you see? Um, I, remember, I remember coming up with this metric a long time ago. You know you have a good community when people have met at your gym and have gotten engaged and married. Ah, um, for every time you get that, that's a good sign. And then when people have met, got married and had babies, you know, you've passed another milestone, um, in a good community. No, but in general, you know, just, just, um, you, you want to measure it by how much your, your members are interacting outside of the gym, you know? So when they're doing things together outside the gym and they don't know each other other than the gym, they're hanging out, you know, they're hosting parties, inviting gym people, you know, they're doing the community events like that's a, that's a very uh, those are indicators of a strong community and and uh, and if they're if people show up to class only and then do the workout and leave um, that's not usually a sign of, of somebody who's really plugged into the community you know they're participating on in online you know discussions on forums and the jokes and all that stuff too we, those are the kind of people that the kind of a behavior we want to encourage um, because what happens is, is as people get busy with life or just they get they get setbacks and roadblocks, you know, the, the, the social media will pull them back into the community and pull them back into the gym. And even if they have to put their membership, you know, on hold or, you know, cancel permanently, keeping them around and keeping them plugged in will, will make them come back um, versus, versus if, if you just sort of like cut them off completely, um, they'll, then they're far less likely to ever come back around. You know, so I'm a fan of keeping people in the, in the private group, even though they're no longer members. Yeah, I usually leave them in for a while. Um, but after a while, I kind of kick them loose because they really don't need to hear me bitching about people throwing chalk all over the place. <laughs> you know, God damn it, who left their equipment out again? Son of a gun. You I know. told you this is so easy, dude. Just teach them when they're new to keep the fucking chalk in the bucket, dude. You could get a T-Rex suit and make a funny video with T-Rex yeah. guys. Is, is that Ricky? <laughs> Ricky, who does that? Uh, well, yeah, we've all taken, we've all taken our turn in the T-Rex suit. <laughs> have you seen that, Steve? Have you seen the T-Rex suit? I think I have. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have one of those, those inflatable T-Rex costumes. Yeah. And so we started, what w- turned out to be, we were just trying to be funny and doing like, like he's training for the games or whatever. And then I was like, wait a minute, we can use this as a tool to teach clients, yeah. you know, without making fun of anybody directly, yeah. you know, just call it, just gym etiquette, you know, about showing up on time and like chalk usage and <laughs> did it help? Know, and, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. You know, like there, there was one I put out recently. It was him running out of the bathroom. You know, I was like, let's not leave the bathroom destroyed. And I, I made it look like a security <laughs> camera. So, I, so the camera, I turned, I made it black and white and kind of fuzzy. And then it was like, we found the culprit and it's the, you hear me yell three, two. And then he comes running out of the bathroom, throwing paper towels, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which happens like, you know, every big class you have, somebody's in the shitter every time you want to start the workout. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's funny, but it was a way to kind of not sit there and just 
I mean, because I've made those videos like, what the fuck is wrong with you? What do you think this is? Tony Montana's mansion? <laughs> like white powder fucking everywhere. Steve, Steve, is, Steve, Steve is the fucking boss at this for 10 years. He'll put, you know, you leave your plates on the bar, you leave your bar in the rack, you leave chalk on the thing, whatever. Steve's calling you out fucking five minutes later. I love it. Yeah. Dude, I mean, I literally had a fucking picture where somebody, I had a, I had a whiteboard on the wall. And instead of them writing their goddamn time and their reps or whatever on the whiteboard, they take a piece of chalk and they write it on my freaking wall right next to the whiteboard. So I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you people, man? You know, and I mean, I probably got about 20,000 hits on that one. Yeah. Well, I've, I've had, I've had visitors, you know, like being in Florida and stuff, you know, we get uh, a lot of folks visit their grandmothers. Right. (laughs) And so, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I had uh, I had one girl uh, recently pull the chalk out of the bucket, the hand chalk, the magnesium carbonate, the gymnastic chalk, right? Yeah. And write some shit. Uh, and now I spent a lot of money. I bought all these miniature whiteboards, and I have all the dry erase pens. So every single person in that class can write all their stuff right in their whiteboard, right? Dry erase. They have their own. It's twelve inches. They love it. This girl pulls the chalk out, starts writing on the floor. And it took every ounce of my energy not to go complete Marine Corps on her. I, I, I think I just stopped coaching and walked away and just was like, fuck yeah. it, it's Saturday. I'm going to go yeah. have a beer and relax. Yeah. Someone needs to make a meme. Of, there's like, how do you, you know, how do you help a vegan who's choking? And then it shows the suplex, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like what do you do when someone's writing on the floor with chalk? It's like, yeah. like, so funny, man. Yeah. The, the, uh, it's, oh, there's so many of those little, little things. I mean, it's, and it's, it just becomes cultural, you know, you just have yeah. to, you know, that kind of, that ties into, you know, like we're talking about the community aspect and you, you have visitors and, you know, if you're programming for your gym and Steven was talking about, you know, how he wants to do his, his, he wants to write his program because he knows his members. And then JJ, you were talking about how, you know, what makes a community and what are the things that you could do for it. And then, you know, when we bring visitors in and stuff and we see the differences, so many similarities we talked about, but yet still so many differences. Where do you see the future of the CrossFit branded gym? Uh, there's a lot of rebranding talk. Um, you know, a lot of people going their own way. Where do you see the future of the CrossFit branded gym heading? Your, your brand, I don't know who said this, but your brand is not what you say it is. It's what other people say about it. Right. Good. And, and uh, um, I think that That's cool. CrossFit has really established itself as an extreme sport. And, and uh, um, you know, it's like kite surfing. It's not like, you know, it's not like you're gonna be like, Oh, kite surfing is a great, you know, you can't redo what people's perceptions of that is. And even though they've been really good about kind of coming out with um, this content around these stories of people, I love that stuff. And I, I really want them to continue it. Yeah. But I still think that society, we're a long ways away from society in general, accepting CrossFit as just a, a, pay, a way for average people to get fit and have a great life. And so it's not that you can't be successful having CrossFit on your, on your sign or whatever, on your website. Like, and I still like, I love CrossFit. It's it's still something I'm super passionate about, but I also understand that, that there's a public perception. And then there's also this problem with other gyms, you know, like I have, I have literally, again, I've been around longer than most, you know, like 2005, you know, at the, at the CrossFit games, they, they had the affiliate area. They said they had a thing where who here's been here the longest. And apparently I've, I've been owning an affiliate longer than anybody in the room that, at that time. Um, um, 
Andy Hendel, I think, was the second guy. Yeah, I remember Andy. He's up in North Carolina. I don't know. Yeah, if he's yeah. Still, yeah. Spencer's his son, um, yep. and so he was. He was between me and him. But uh, uh, but yeah, it's it, and I've seen gyms come and go. And the problem is, is just that people will will uh, um, um, you know these gyms come and go. And even if you've been around as a gym owner for three, four, five years, um, you might be the oldest gym in your area, which is, you know, three, four, five years is pretty legit. Um, but you got to remember there's, there's been gyms that have come and gone before you were ever around. And, yeah. and they've, they've, they've created a public perception about the brand CrossFit before you even came around. And even if you're established, there's going to be new gyms constantly coming and going always because yeah. it's a low barrier to entry. And if they're saying they're CrossFit and they're doing a, 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 something that may, not saying it's good or bad, but something different than what you're doing, you don't have control over that. And so um, it can be very hard to kind of grow your brand and your, your identity when it's the same as something else. I mean, we saw it in the martial arts, you know, the, the original, uh, uh, originally martial arts were, uh, if you looked it up in the phone book, the phone book was the original Facebook, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so all the advertising you ever did was in the phone book and you were under judo. This was back in like the fifties and sixties. And, and uh, then it became, then it became karate and then it became martial arts. And, and but, but uh, you know, it didn't matter what martial art you did. You just called yourself judo. Cause that's what everybody knew, you know? And, and uh, it's, it's the same thing with, with CrossFit. Like there are very vast differences between judo and karate and Taekwondo and, you know, even jujitsu and, and, uh, um, and the, but the average person doesn't know the difference. Yeah, no, it's, um, uh... It, you're exactly right. I mean, even down here, I mean, we were, we opened up, um, 2008 and, um, there was no other CrossFit gyms down here in Broward County. We were the first box. Uh, there was a couple guys that were doing like park workouts, but, uh, there was nobody around. And I think at one point it got up to about almost 70 CrossFit gyms just in this County alone. And, um, now I think it's back down to about 40, 45 and a lot of them have come and gone man and I just uh you know I got a guy that's like right around the corner from me he does his own thing I don't care what he does he opened up a few years ago and he seems like a really nice kid and listen it pissed off my members more than it pissed off me when he opened up because I didn't really care but they were all pissed they're like that's bullshit you know he's right here he shouldn't be doing that you know let's face it man I mean it is hard to find a uh area that's zoned properly to be able to open up a gym in a warehouse because of a parking issue, right? So mm -hmm. that is one of the reasons, I'm not saying that it's a justifiable reason, but it is one, one of the reasons why these gyms kind of open up on, on top of each other. Um, I don't believe that there's enough business for all of us. I do believe that it's a very small percentage if, and I gotta make this clear, if you're just offering CrossFit, and I said this before, if your gym is just offering CrossFit, you are an ice cream parlor just offering vanilla ice cream. You are missing out on a lot of opportunities and um, you need to do more, you know, and I'm not saying run boot camps, but I'm saying, you know, maybe, uh, maybe do some Olympic lifting, powerlifting, you so know, sport, sports specific stuff, whatever you're into, you know, you part of the, the building of your brand is demonstrating what your culture is. So you attract the right clients. There's two things that cause the, the most animosity between gym owners, CrossFit specifically, sharing the name CrossFit and needing leads like crazy, needing constant flow of clients because you're losing them. 
you know, realistically, most of these most of the gyms we're talking about, you guys are going to be successful with, you know, 200 clients or 300 clients. If you can't make a decent amount of money with two or 300 clients, like you need some business systems in place, unless you're like a bigger facility. Right. But even then, like, you know, so what happens is these gyms, they, they need the leads and they need to have, you know, 10 or 20 people signing up every month just to kind of replace some of the attrition that they're having. And then they become panicked when a new gym opens up or there's some other gym calling themselves CrossFit because now that pie is a little bit smaller. Yeah. And if, but if you're standing, if you're standing on your own brand, you're not really worried about, you're not really worried about what the other gyms are doing because you're doing your thing and the leads that you're getting like your culture and like your, you know, like what you're about and they're going to be more likely to sign up and then it's your job to keep them. Cause what, what I've, what I, I remember describing this a, a number of years ago and, and, and what I said was, you know, at first it was all about just getting, everybody wanted CrossFit. They just want to know what it was. And so right. they would, they would hear about, hear about it. Their friends would hear about it and they would come try it. Yeah. That well has dried up. Everybody knows what CrossFit is. So it's not like the people who are adventurous enough to try it have done that. And they've already done it. They're either doing it at a gym or they they've done it and decided it wasn't for them or moved on or whatever. So now the, what's happened is, is that in combination with all the, 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 the game stuff has soured a lot of the original people. They think it's not for them. So now the, the, the main well that we're drawing from is people who are afraid of CrossFit and, and who are, think it's too extreme for them. And, and, uh, uh, and so then that, cha that changed the market significantly. And we really saw it around that 2014 mark. That's why I, kinda, I do kind of crack up when I hear about these kind of gurus and things trying to tell people how to, how to run their gyms. And they were successful in 2012 13 and 14. And I was like, uh, yeah, that was the easiest. That we, oh my God. The yeah. wave was like huge. We'd have 30 people come into our free class on Sundays and, you know, it was just walking the class, you know, and it was, it was, yeah. a, you know, you well, can't say that you, you know, you learned about this business. It, the people, the people making the most money right now are the ones telling people how to make money. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we, we definitely saw that with the Mad Lab group. It was like, cause they were the only kind of business gurus originally. There was the biz, which is kind of gone, and and uh, um, and then there was Mad Lab, and Mad Lab was all about just kind of like word of mouth. There was no advertising or anything. It was just sort of like, oh, you should talk to this guy, you know. And and uh, now all these other gurus have come up, which is a sign that gyms are struggling. Yeah. And, and I remember even back in two thousand, uh, you know, two three years ago, when we were the the first ones to say like, gyms are going out of business, and and you you're not the only one struggling. Cause that was like, nobody would talk about it. You, if you were struggling, you yeah. thought you were just broken and it was your fault. And, and these gyms were silently going into the night and nobody was discussing about what they did wrong or how they do. You re, do you remember when you, we did that thing before CrossFit uh, incorporated changed their website and they had the list of the affiliates on the left-hand side and you could kind of hierarchy yourself that way. And that we kind of messaged back and forth about that and and then it, it was funny to, for me to find out that you actually kept screenshots <laughs> of that. And, uh, you know, you could kind of count your way to see where you stood in the hierarchy, where you started, where you ended up. And a lot of people have went by the wayside. Yeah, yeah. So you still can um, collect some of that data. So this was a couple years ago. Um, I had started um, kind of looking at the affiliate list and copying and pasting it into a spreadsheet of going. And I went back and used something called the Internet Wayback Machine, which is a which is a, basically a bot that could go back in history. And I could look, I went back to the, uh, you know, 2004 and started, and started collecting the data every year of where the gyms were. 
Um, and uh, so then I started kind of, kind of just leaking some of those, those results online. Um, two weeks later, they changed the CrossFit site. Yeah. And they it also, like, it was weird and, how it happened. And, they, and then they included code that will not let you go back on the internet Wayback machine and look at the old site. Really? Wow. Um, uh, and, and, uh, I don't know if I directly caused that, but I do know that one of the Russes said like, Oh, your data's wrong. This isn't a complete list, you know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying, I mean, I, it was just more along the lines of saying like, look, gyms are closing and nobody's talking about it. Why well, are we talking just, about they're, this? they're just defending the brand from junk science. That's well, <laughs> well, and, and in their defense and all you guys who are gym owners defense, we don't want the world to know that gyms aren't successful because if you ever want to sell your business, you, if, if the word gets out that it's really hard to run a gym and they're not very profitable and successful, it's going to be a lot harder to find someone to take it over. Yeah. Um, so we don't necessarily want that discussion happening outside of the, the kind of the inner, inner circle. And so it was kind of irresponsible to kind of start talking about that like we did, but, but it wasn't, but it opened up. Everyone finally started coming forward and saying like, Oh my gosh, I'm struggling or, you know, and, and, and now there's, now it's part of the, you know, just part of everyone understands that like, no, this is not an easy business. It's not just build it and they will come. No, not yeah. anymore. Now yeah. we, just had, we just had Frank DeMeo on. Um, he's over in Sarasota, Florida, and he's not necessarily shutting down, but he's giving up his affiliate. And that guy is like top. He's like number 35 ever. Uh, I think like the, really the first or second in Florida. So he's been, he's been around for a long time and his reasoning is he just doesn't need the, he just doesn't need it. You know, he, he's only paying $500 a year cause he's one of the originals and he has nothing bad to say about CrossFit, but you know, honestly, like he's, he's an older guy and he's more into strength training. He follows like the underground strength club with uh, Zach Evanesh mm-hmm. and um, he, he rebranded as the cave and um, you know, it's just, for him, it, even if it's only $500 a year, it's just a waste of money because he says he really hasn't used it in the last three years. So what's the sense of keeping it? Well, $3,000 a year is like, is like 200 and something, 230, 240 bucks a month. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you know? the, new, that's the new price, right? 3000 a year? Yeah. You can buy programming for less than that. Yeah. <laughs> what are you getting out of that brand? Now, if you're still, if you're, you know, if, especially if you're paying less than $3,000, I, I think it's a, I think it's worth it. And I, and I yeah. do think we should support CrossFit and a lot of, you yeah. know, if you can afford it, you should pay for it. Um, uh, and, and, uh, but yeah, there's people who need to make that, that call. Now, when I was looking at that list of affiliates, you know, we, we saw that there was hundreds of them becoming de-affiliated. They could be closing. They could be, um, they could be just changing their brand or de-affiliating. Um, but it also doesn't include change in ownership, right? So if they kept the same name, they stayed on the list and there's that list doesn't even include all the people that have sold their gym to somebody else. Yeah. Um, but what we saw, you know, um, gyms that were a hundred, back in 2005 or 2006 are like 40 now. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and that's what we saw with like Mike's gym is that, you know, he's moved up significantly yeah. in the rankings because of just, just attrition. And that's going to happen in business, especially in a business where there's such a low barrier to entry. Right. Um, but again, let's talk about it. You know, let's have these conversations and let's learn from the people who have gone. You know, one of the things that, that I always talk about is, is this uh, confirmation bias, you know, and I remember seeing a, a Ted talk. It was really interesting but he talked about the, the bomber planes in World War II. And these planes were coming back from Germany or whatever, and they would land, and the flight crews would take a little three-by-five card that had an outline of the plane, and they would mark all the bullet holes. And they'd sit there, and they'd mark all, where all the bullets were, and then they would basically create a heat map. 
okay, here's where all the bullets are hitting. And so then the, uh, uh, some of the brass was like, all right, so this is where, the, where, where they're getting shot. We can't armor the whole plane to make it too heavy, um, too expensive. So we're just going to armor these areas where the bullets are hitting so wow. that the planes are more durable. And I was like, oh, that's genius. And then some engineer stands up and is like, um, these are the planes that made it back. <laughs> these are the, where the planes can still get shot and still fly. Right. The play areas we need to armor are there areas where there where we don't have any planes coming. Holy back. shit! You had me suckered there. Right. And, yeah. and it, it, it it's it's a, it has to do with the fact that we're talking to gyms that have stuck around, but we need to be talking to the gyms that failed. Yeah. And and okay, what did they do wrong, and and how can we learn from them, um, or or the gyms that are struggling or whatever, and not just talking to these the most successful gyms, um, uh, and and trying to you know which we got to do too. You know, it's not that we, not that we want to ignore that, but I think in general though, there's the, there was this, we were ignoring all, nobody would talk about it. And, and so it's good that like said, uh, gyms like, or groups like the Mad Lab group. And, you know, I know uh, two brain gets a lot of, gets a lot of positive uh, referrals and things too. Uh, but, you know, there are people out there that, that are learning from the gyms and, and, and continuing to push this forward because ultimately you guys, if you're by yourself trying to figure this thing out and you're piecemealing everything, like, it's going to be a, it's going to be a long, hard, uh, long, hard struggle to make your, your business successful. There's a lot of landmines that you don't, you know, you don't even know that they're there. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. You know, like I'd never give up my affiliate if I, you know, I mean, even if I don't use it, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, I, yeah, maybe somebody will find me from CrossFit and then when they come in, they may not want to do CrossFit. They may say, oh, you guys do Olympic weightlifting? Oh, man, I want to do that. So, you know, I, I kind of I kind of would never bite the hand that fed me. And I think uh, Glassman gave a lot of people the opportunity. Um, it's just – it's not a perfect system, unfortunately. And uh, we can go on for hours and hours and hours talking about that part of it. But, uh, you know, you're exactly right. You know, it's – it's uh, it's one of those uh, tough things where you got to make a decision, especially now if it's three thousand a year. You know, I'm I'm lucky. I'm only paying a thousand. I missed it by like a month. I was a punter, man. <laughs> well, yeah, you were right behind me. I'm at five hundred, and I'm still trying to like, yo, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I, I still think it's worth it for most gyms, but it it's, is, a, it it is. it's individual. It's individual to every gym, and. And, you know, just to kind of wrap things up, you know, the, the business has changed significantly from 2000, you know, 2005 when I got started all the way and it, it, we've gone through these different phases. And, and um, if you're not staying on top of some of this stuff, like I said, your chances are you're going to you're going to get burned out, you're going to end up with a with a business that's not really worth anything to anybody. And you got to make that decision. Should you close up? Should you try to just give it away to somebody? what should you do? And, and, um, but, but if you're, if you're in it and you're really in it to help people and help your coaches be successful, you should, you should be trying to find a mentor, find, find people that are going to help you, um, stay ahead of the game, you know, Jared, and, and you, I want to end it with this. Um, yeah. the biggest thing we're seeing right now is coaches, keeping coaches in your facility to become professionals and Huge. attracting new talent and then training them up to be even better is the big trend that we're seeing. Um, originally, you know, Mad Lab was talking about things like branding. Now everyone accepts it. It was like, oh, you should do an interview or uh, an intro, and then you should do one-on-one -on -one training. Everyone's like, what? That's nuts. You should never do that. Just let them come to class. High barrier entry. Rah. And now everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You know? <laughs> right. I'm telling you right now that if you haven't started to see it, you'll start to see coach turnover. And when a coach who's been with you for three or four years leaves and you have to promote somebody underneath them, 
who hasn't been doing it as long, that coach isn't going to be as good. Now it's a copy of a copy of a copy and it starts to accelerate. And you start. So perfect. That makes perfect sense. And wrapping it up, JJ, dude, you're a wealth of information and knowledge. And um, I'm going to let Steve close it out, but just tell us where we can get a hold of you. I know you're part of Mad Lab Group. I know you have Thrivers Street Programming and uh, you're still active at Diablo and uh, the NorCal scene. So give us a little hint. Like I know a lot of people who listen to this are going to definitely want to reach out to you. Yeah, thriveistry.com. Um, that's a combination of the word thrive and mastery. So thriveistry.com, JJ at thriveistry.com is my email. You can find me on Facebook and everything too. I, I, still, I still live near Diablo and my wife still goes there and works out uh, most of the time. But, but uh, actually, it's, I, I still run a gym called Benicia Movement. Oh um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. BMO. Yeah. And so um, I kept one of the gyms when I sold, sold to Diablo and then, yeah. Then, and then the Mad Lab group and all the stuff we're trying to do there with trying to create a professional industry um, for coaches to have a career in. Um, so gyms can make money, coaches can make money and clients get professional services um, instead of, instead of this, this fly by night thing where gyms are coming and going and coaches are coming and going. Awesome. awesome. Well, that was a lot of good information, man. And this is a good, this has definitely been a, a great, one of our great podcasts. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, most likely we're going to have to invite JJ back on somewhere down the line. Oh yeah. Um, because there's a lot of, a lot of uh, more content that we can cover. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up guys. JJ, thank you very much for being a part of our podcast. And um, it's been a pleasure talking to you and thanks for passing on a lot of the information. I hope it really helps somebody. <laughs> thanks for having me guys yeah and, uh, hey if we if me and steven die in this hurricane it was good knowing you brother <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care